Hello, and welcome to the Core Stories podcast. I'm your host, Becky Frazier, and I'm really excited about our guest that we have today. This is somebody that I didn't know very well until probably the last three or four weeks, but the more I hear about this person, the more excited I am about this interview. So uh, we'll go ahead and let you introduce yourself. Hello, I'm Jeff Magruder, native Nashvilleian, UT graduate, Lipscomb alumni. My wife is Jessica Magruder, and we have three kids, Marley, Ansley, and little William. We've been members at Otter Creek for almost seven years, which I can't even believe that. And we love it here. Uh, it's the best church in Nashville, and we look to be here for a long time. Man, a native Nashvilleian. You don't Nashville. see a lot of those. Yeah, I'm, I know I'm a unicorn, and I, you know, and we gravitate towards each other. It's it's amazing once I meet someone that's from Nashville. We just kind of go into how downtown used to be, and you know how how it was just a t- totally different city. But we're thankful for the growth and, and the diversity of of living here now. So I wouldn't want to go back to that way because it was you know very very segregated and, and kind of old school too. So Nashville is a lot more progressive than it used to be. Jeff, what do you do for work? Yes, so I am a banker, uh, which which people make fun of a lot of times because you hear <laughs> about bankers' hours and the fact that we can we eat lunch and play golf for a living. That's kind of true, but you have to work to get to that level. And bankers get all the holidays off, and you know it's always closed. And so, uh, yeah, I've been in banking almost twenty years. I am currently a private and commercial banker for Pinnacle Bank here in Brentwood. It's all I've done since college, but I love the job. I don't think I've actually worked since I got into the commercial role of small business and private banking where I have flexible hours to be in and out of the office when I need to to create a book of business. But, yeah, I don't have a job which allows me to do a lot of different things in in, in the community. So um, the theme of this uh, season has been how I serve and really mm-hmm. exploring vocation. And it's easy to see how a teacher or a nurse or a doctor participates in the kingdom of God. But people don't typically think, oh, kingdom work when right. they think of banking. Right. But then I hear about the things that you're doing in our community. Mm-hmm. And I think, oh, wow, actually, yeah, this amazing. is kingdom work. It's, so. pretty, it's pretty amazing. When I graduated from UT... I got right into banking and immediately started to also coach AAU basketball Uh, because I was a sports management major. I uh, played in college as well. Basketball was, I thought I was going to become a coach, but I got this job offer. I was like, some good money. Let me go try this out. So I got into it and I realized that my job at the bank and then going to get these kids and coaching was kind of intersecting to where some of the parents wanted to know that where I worked, what I did for a living, and, and I could talk to the kids about financial literacy. And that was, and I kind of, that was a quick snapshot of it. And as I moved into a more flexible role with the bank, I, I saw that to build a network, I would do it through serving. And because the way I grew up in the church, like, of course, I grew up in the church here in Nashville where, you know, you went to church from Wednesday through Sunday, basically. Um, and that was just kind of so instinctively the foundation of, of serving has always been <clears throat> a part of my life. And so when I got my first job, I knew it was easy for me to network and, and, and serve. And so um, and what I found from that, amazingly, and it's always I'm always tickled to death when I get new business or a new deal or something because of 
something I did serving on a board or volunteering somewhere and, and someone makes that connection that I work at the bank. Um, but I don't do it for that. And right. that's the kingdom piece that, you know, the humility that we have as Christians, I don't brag about it. I just love doing it because of who I am. And I, I felt like I work for working in the banking world gives you the option to be in the community. Now, some bankers choose not to. They just hustle and cold call and grow books of business and go home. But me, um, because because of, of my love for Jesus, it's just I gravitate towards the community work that the bank allows me to p- participate in to meet new people. And it's, man, I, I think that's the only way to do it, to be honest with you. So if I'm training someone, I just tell you, I don't want you cold calling and bugging people about deals. I want you to actually go serve this community center down the street and meet some people there. So, so you mentioned earlier um, coaching people through um, not just basketball but also financial literacy. Mm-hmm. So, what is the importance of financial literacy? Why is that something that you're passionate about? I think it's the the elephant in the room that our entire country doesn't really focus on, and doesn't matter, you know, what race you are or what your social economic background is. The managing money in a capitalist society that feeds off of debt to grow, not understanding those principles is suffocating. And I feel really, my heart goes out to a lot of college graduates the last 10 years with the amount of debt, the cost it takes to go to school and then get a job and then try to buy your first house. That process is just, I mean, they tell you the American dream, you have to you know, buy a house, get the white picket fence and all that, but they don't know you have to go into debt to do it. You look up your 40 years old and you're, you're half a million dollars in debt and you're just trying to get kids through, through school. So um, financial literacy, if taught right, can help slow down that curve of, of the debt that you take on and the bad credit issues that you have and the confidence to build something for yourself to save and earn it and, and just, you know, it's not taught in the home. It's really not. Some, some people are blessed and they have, you know, great parenting where they pass it down. And, um, but I'm a banker. I still struggle. My kids are 10 and eight and I'm still like, when am I going to start talking to them about money? I just give them everything. Basically. I mean, we're all doing it. We spoil our kids, but financial literacy is huge. Very, very huge. So when you say that you serve in our community, what, what does that look like okay. on, an, on an average day or average week? Oh, man. So the folks that are listening are probably like, oh, he's about to like go, go, go down the laundry lift. <laughs> People think I'm, like, I'm busy, like I, I don't have any time, but I have plenty of time because I, I manage my time well. But I, I'll say I, I serve on two boards, and I kind of work backwards to kind of what's going on. Uh, I serve on the board for KIPP Academy, which... I was connected through through a, a fellow member here, Will Ed Settle. He, he'll be a great person to have on the podcast. I will thank you. Recommend he is phenomenal. Uh, he went to Vandy, was an attorney, just but he asked me to serve on their board. And it's a charter school based in in Nashville, but it's a national one, and they primarily serve black and brown kids, free or reduced lunch. I mean, kind of the the kids that are at risk. I mean, they most of the kids are at risk kids. And it's been phenomenal. Um, the other thing that I do, I serve on the board for NPR, Nashville Public Radio, WPLN, um, as the finance chair. Um, that came through kind of a diversity play for them. I mean, they hadn't, they didn't have any people of color on their board, and one of their new board members reached out to me five years ago, and I fell in love with just public radio and 
what they were doing for the black community, I was just blown away by. And so I've used that as a tool to kind of help share information about media. Hustle Strong Foundation is my foundation that supports the Nashville Pro and Basketball League that I run. It's one of Josh's favorite things to do in the summer. And we basically allow pro athletes and college athletes to play against each other in the summers. And we raise money for them to do that. And then the extra money we take and give to youth sports in the area. And so if you're an AAU team or baseball team or girls soccer team, you need some money, a lot of times they'll go to our website and apply for a grant to cover some kids that can't afford to play. So, which I learned the need for that through coming up through sports uh, myself. And then, and then the myriad of things that I'm connected to is I do, I do a little bit with Lipscomb just as far as like things on campus with, with students. I serve on the MCC here, which I just did my last term last year. That was great. Um, but the way I manage all this is, is being really organized and never overcommitting to things on those boards or in those roles that I can't handle. So what I do is I build teams around me. So if I'm on the board, I have committee members that are outside the board to help me with that. If I'm serving on MCC, I'm saying, okay, I only can focus on finance. I can't do all the other stuff. Like I'm going to be – you get all my attention on this one thing. So, um, but but if you look at that, there's four or five things I mentioned there. Ten to fifteen people are with me in all those different areas. And so yeah. you think about all those folks. We grow we grow a relationship into like building something yeah. that's serving people, right? But when those folks are pressed for financial services or financial needs and have a question, who are you gonna call first? If you don't know, you're gonna call the person that I've actually toiled with to. I mean, because their their trust is built because we went and served selfishly. I mean, selflessly, and uh, I get phone calls about it, which is a blessing. Yeah. So you're saying that having healthy boundaries actually allows you to serve in more ways. Yes. Some folks can't. They have to do everything at, yeah. at all places, and so they get overwhelmed and get burnt out. And so sometimes my wife will will probably she'll tease me because people say Jeff does a lot because they see me. On Instagram, uh, on Facebook, I'll post me at the Magruder Center. There's this community center. I forgot about that. It's named after my grandmother. I'm not the lead agent. Like, I'm an advisor to them. But when I go there, um, when they ask me for something, I do everything I can to help the center. But I don't overcommit. I'll tell I'll tell you no in a heartbeat. Like, I can't. I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I got these things going on. But in this specific area, if you need help, call me. That's great. Stand, yeah, stand in your lane, you know. Yeah. I think that little piece of advice is, is worth its weight in gold right there. Mm-hmm. Stay yeah. in your lane. So um, you mentioned the McGruder Center, and yeah. I, I don't have a lot of familiarity with this. I heard about it for the first time after the tornado. Yeah. Uh, they were doing a lot yeah. in North Nashville to help people yeah. that had been in, impacted. And I didn't realize that there is a connection to you until a mutual friend, Viva Price, mentioned yes. it. So, yes, yeah, small world. I love yeah. Viva. She was at my house Two weeks ago for for an event in the neighborhood. Jessica, her and Jessica went to college together. They graduated from UT and they're in the same sorority. That's cool. Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. Let me let me say the whole <laughs> thing. So if 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 we talk about so the Magruder Center is basically my family legacy. I didn't earn a naming. My grandmother, Curly Magruder, earned the naming because she was a civil rights activist in Nashville, heavy in the sixties. 
She led um, Freedom Riders. If you've heard of the Freedom Riders, are, yeah. are a group of college students who came down from New York and in Chicago to train Southern students how to basically fight civil rights. You know, uh, protests, sit-ins at diners. She was one of the ones that helped with the training, and so because of that, she became the president of the national chapter of NAACP. She ran for council. Councilman didn't want to win. She just wanted to run just to make sure she pushed the other person to do what they were going to say they were going to do. Uh, so when she passed away, a few years went by, and there was a school in North Nashville called John Early. It's a 100-year-old school that they were going to close, but they, um, but the councilman said, hey, let's keep it open and make it a community center. Let's name it the C.E. Magruder Family Resource Center. Now, probably like six or seven years ago, after my grandfather passed, who was, who was a doctor in North Nashville, I said, man, I got to I got to step it up now, you know. And I said, well, what's the better way to do it? Let me go to the center and see what they need. And what I did was I just started bringing all my friends, people I work with, to say, hey, y'all can come and let's write a little business plan and try to get some grant money. We need a kitchen. We need some money from the city. We need some new nonprofits in the building. And that's been going. And now it's on cruise, cruise control. I, I, not much effort besides, hey, Jeff, we got this going on. Will you come and support? Will you write a check or are you – um, do this opening speech for us or something now. So it's just kind of rolling. So what kind of work is happening at the Magruder Family Center oh, right man. now? It's amazing. So on, for, on the outside, they have a full, uh, they call it a trap garden. It's pretty pretty funny, but it's in, it's, it's a, a garden that the community can come plant whatever they want from, from vegetables to fruit. Um, and that's, that's, that runs all year long. Um, then they have a basketball court and they have a, a soccer, what's the famous term for a soccer field? Pitch. I wouldn't have known that. So yes, it's called you. a pitch, called a mini pitch that the National Soccer Club uh, put in. And that was that came through a connection with the Ingram Foundation. They knew I was a part of the center, and they, they had the National Soccer Club. We want to put a mini pitch in. Inside the building, we have Catholic Charities runs the – it's kind of the lead agent. And so they kind of go through the process of other nonprofits that want to be in. But Catholic Charities does workforce development, drug awareness, to job training, to health care. They do everything. I mean, they're, they're refugees, big. Yeah. yeah, they're great. Catholic Charities is amazing. So they kind of run the whole building. Um, and, and they kind of interview the nonprofits that want to be in. So um, you have uh, the National Arts Commissions in, in there. So they have artists on site that work with kids in community on art projects, then they do community art projects. You also have a food pantry there. You have DCS, it's in the building. I mean, it's just like hodgepodge. Yeah. And they triage you when you come in for your needs. Um, LBMC in Brentwood donated 25 computers to it. So they have two computer labs in the, in the building and they have a, a full kitchen that we wrote a grant for that to just install last year, so they also have a food prep program. So it is, it's a busy place now. It's a busy, busy place, but it's doing what it's supposed to be doing. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. It is very, really, really cool. So it sounds like one of the things that you're passionate about as you're talking, I can see your eyes oh, yeah. lighting up um, as you talk about work in the black and brown community uh -huh. in, in yeah. North Nashville. Of and, course, yeah. Um, and how do you see, or do you see a connection between banking and um, the financial aspect and helping um, our black and brown brothers in Nashville? Oh, absolutely. You know, there's there's a lot of ways. 
you know, I mean, I'll break down the statistics. Um, African Americans' net worth is eleven thousand seven hundred dollars, and net worth eleven thousand dollars. Excuse me, seventeen thousand. White Americans one hundred and seventy-one thousand. So you have ten times the net worth just being who you are if you're white versus black on average. I mean, there's definitely, you have poor, poor white people and poor black people too, but just on average, you know, you're 10 times better to be more successful if you have that kind of wealth. And so my job, my role as a banker in the community is to help teach and to help fight for that net worth to eventually merge. But it can't, merge until you actually get both sides of the coin to work together because there has to be some sharing of resources cash is one thing jobs are another and contracts and so one of the things that i've done as a as a banker is is engaged with my old community and also with the community that i serve here in brentwood as you know i've been out here in this market you know 15 years Introducing them to one another, bringing them to the Magruder Center, bringing them to Slim and Husky's Pizza, which is started in North Nashville. If you haven't had it, have you had it? I have, yes. Okay, you have had it. And their yeah. infamous cinnamon rolls as and well. Oh, the yeah. cinnamon rolls. Yeah. We won't talk those about those. Those are ridiculous. <laughs> oh, I, I can taste them right now. But, but doing things like that, introducing those guys to my clients here in Brentwood, yeah. I've done that. And so that that's one of the things I'm doing. Um, yeah, so so I have a goal of going back to my community of buying a community bank. I really think that is the way because one thing that's lacking on every board and executive level of banks is black Americans and women and Latinos. If you look across the boardrooms and the executive levels where decisions are made about the capital in this country, they're all baby boomer white males. I mean, that's just what the reality is. But now I'm 42. I'm approaching a, a, a level of expertise to where I have the ability to go and do that myself. And my goal will be to build a management team that looks like our nation. Um, because when you think about decision making in the practice of financial management and capital allocated to the community, if you're only giving loans or listening it's, it's not about even giving if your own if your network is just who you are which are wealthy white males particularly and that's your book of business that's what you'll do if you don't hire anybody or put anyone that's a decision maker on your board that's a person of color or woman you'll never have diversity and you may make a lot of money but your but your bank is still not the world it's not it's not capitalized so my goal would be to have a very diverse um board and executive team so when we're recruiting a college graduate to come work for us they can see themselves working there which i think is critical to financial literacy in our country because we can speak the language of the people that need the money the most so diversity starts at the top it, it starts at the top I've talked to, you know, our leadership here. I've said, look, you know, if y'all want diversity, it has to start at who we bring in and hire. Um, and and that's very important. You know, we el- elders would help, but also we have to figure out a way to increase our sample size also. And so some of that is the way we worship and, you know, how diverse that looks. And so 
it takes all of it. It's just not one thing that's going to click. It's kind of a cultural shift that we all are going through. And, um, you know, you know, we were talking about it, like George Floyd, what's happened recently has, has put that in the forefront of everyone's mind. Yes. Even though four years ago we had um, uh, Brown's passing and, and, and Trayvon Martin and, and, and all that happened, but because of COVID, the world was shut down. So all attention was on black lives, finally. And now we're at a place to where people want to listen. And I'm, this is what I'm warning people. I'm saying, listen, don't do a knee-jerk reaction to this and say, I did something. Say, how do I change my heart to where the rest of my life and my kids will think that way? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's going to take longer. So my prayer for our country and, and, and our church is that we develop a culture that exudes that um and so as we we start to address this hated practice of racism in our country one of the things that racism has done has created that wealth gap and i believe as christians that we have a duty to fight against that that's social justice and the biggest social justice i I see as christians we can fight is racism and the economy those two are the same i will argue to the grave on those two. Because of slavery, racism and the economics created this thing. Slavery created this racial tension that we sit in today. And economics keeps us in this place. Owning a bank one day will hopefully help fight against that and teach some people that, hey, this is something we should have been doing. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you drawing our attention to kind of the, the intersection between not just um, banking in the kingdom of God, but also how that impacts our black and brown brothers and sisters. Because mm-hmm. that's if that's not something that you see every day, it's mm-hmm. something that you may not be as right. aware of. Right. And I think one of the things that you said about the leadership being diverse was really important because if the leadership isn't diverse, then the the trickle down effect that that has means that you're not going to be diverse. And right. and I think that's something that our church here at Otter Creek has right. realized as well, is that if our leadership all looks the same, then how can we expect to have a diverse body? Mm. And here's, here's, there's just cultural differences in, in Latino families, black families and white families. And Denzel Washington was just talking about when you're, was talking about a black person can tell you what the smell of a hot comb smells like on a Sunday when your sisters are getting their hair pressed in the house. You just know what that smell is. And that's kind of a, a very uh, uh, elementary way to talk about the differences. But when you're making decisions for black people that are culturally relevant, but it's all white people in a room and it's going to affect black people, that's how we get into the, some of these stop and frisk situations and some of these chokehold things that are being made by a room of all white people. And so if we want to see some of these laws change, and, and you know, a lot of times on Sundays, man, we, we steer away from politics, but we shouldn't as it relates to social justice. I mean, there are some things in politics that church has shouldn't have anything to do with it because it's all about money and someone else getting rich. Like, Let's stay away from that stuff. But at the end of the day, when you have people that are screaming for th- that have been overtly oppressed in a society, our job 
should be as Christians to press into those things legally and through politics as much as we can. And we just got to get, I mean, get over ourselves, get over our wealth, get, get over our privilege and give it up and allow for some of these changes to happen because it's only going to help you. That's the biggest thing I, I, I want my white brothers and sisters to get. If you have a racist bone in your body and you don't want people of color to have something, why is that? You really have to ask yourself, why would you want, not want to see someone be able to take care of their family and live well as you? Why is that? What is it? What is it in you that makes you really want to be that way? You really have to take a hard look at yourself. And, you know, that's what we, we've been dealing with. And, you know, God's going to break their hearts as he always does. I trust it. I trust. And at the same time, I'm going to just do my stay in my lane and do what I can do best, which is finance. I think that's such an important point. You know, as Christians, not only are we called to seek justice, we're also seek to be humble and mm-hmm. to consider others before we consider ourselves. Right. We're we're called to pick up our cross. That yeah. that is that, that is there's no other way to say mm-hmm. get uncomfortable, right. um, put your life on the line for right. other people than pick up your cross. And so as Christians, uh, I appreciate you, you just yeah. calling it out. What's the parable? You know, I'm, I'm bad with parables, but there's one where it was Jesus been the rich man. And he was, how do I basically be like you? And he told him to sell everything. Sell everything. And the guy was like, all right, I'm out of here. Yeah. That's basically it. I just summed it up. But yeah. but that's basically it. He, he was like, wow, I can't do that. And one of the things that I find <laughs> fascinating about that as well is it says, I think it's in Luke, it specifies that Jesus looked at him with love. Jesus wasn't trying to trip right. him up. He wasn't not, trying yeah. to prove any kind of point. Right. He was loving him and yeah. telling him, this is what's best for you. This is what's best for you. I mean, it's not best for everybody because of the way you covet this stuff. Yes. I know you because I love you. You got to give it, you got to give this, if you don't give this stuff up, you really can't see me for who I am or what the kingdom's about. So that's a hard one. Absolutely. That's a hard one in a wealthy nation. That's a hard one. I'm sure when Josh has preached that when there's lots of folks in in upstairs like, wow, I don't know, Lord. Is he talking (laughs) to me? (laughs) It's easier to point it out in other people. It is. That's the easy one to do, man. Wow. Wow. Mm, Interesting, man. So in America lately, there has been kind of a a renewed attention on Black Lives Matter and Mm -hmm. on some of the things that are happening in the black community. And this isn't new. This is something that's been happening for for generations. Mm -hmm. It's just now that some people are witnessing it for the first time. Why do you why do you think that this is such a moment right now? It's a moment because of COVID. I mean, we were no sports, no live TV. Everyone's watched all the on-demand shows that they could. You know, people were still slowly opening places to go eat. And so you're home. You're on your phone. You're on social networks. And so when this video hit, it was vi- went viral to the 10th degree. Um, and it was for eight minutes. Yeah. I mean, a suffering, a human being suffering in front of you. Eight minutes, and it just broke. It just finally just broke, right? And then I really feel like the next generation who who are also at home, not in school, not doing all the sports, and going back and forth to college, really saw racism for the first time because of they slowed down. I mean, our our kids in college are, are extremely busy. When a lot of the stuff's happening, they're they're doing stuff. I mean, it happens because I'm in college. I don't got time to deal with that, but. Everyone was able to watch, and 
now is our opportunity to take advantage of that energy that wants to see change. I mean, every great movement in this country has been led by young people. Yeah. It has been. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And your grandmother is, is yeah, a testament uh, to yeah, that. My, yeah, my grandmother, she, that's, you know, the, the civil rights era, you know, in the 60s, she trained the students at Fisk TSU Meharry. You know, they were getting pies thrown in their face and spit on and, and called the N-word, you know, and dogs thrown up and water, you know, all the stuff you've seen. I mean, she went through right in that downtown Nashville on Broadway, Fifth Avenue. All those places were segregated and very vicious. He just didn't go there. So now we're in a place where everything is open. It's very subverse, you know, racism. I mean, there's overt things happening, which I'm very ashamed of because of there's so many videos, but the systematic things that have happened are worse because at least you know then it was segregated. You know where you could go and you know where people stood. If I go on this side of town, I'm going to be called an N-word. I know not to go there. But now that that segregation is where it is, I mean, it's desegregated, which it should be. It's it's the system has become the oppressor, Mm. you know, pipeline to prison, you know, drugs in our neighborhood. You know, lack of education and being withheld in certain parts of the community, like from a funding standpoint. Right. You do those things. Um, that stuff does not happen by, so, I mean, that stuff is done purposely. If you can't legally put someone in slavery, how else can you break them? Yeah. You just stress You just stress them, stress them out. So you look at the black community, it's very stressful. I have heard this from a number of my black friends that, that this time is as important as these conversations are. This is, it's stressful. Mm-hmm. It's painful to watch these things. Oh yeah. So how, um, how has your relationship with God changed during COVID during this, this black lives no matter movement during yeah. all of the, the tension and unrest in our country right now? This is why you don't, this is why you don't serve the Lord by yourself. You serve him in a community. I mean, this is where it pays off to be in, in a church and, and, and have your family, your spouse, and your kids know God because no matter how stressful it gets, you have people to talk to that are genuinely concerned about you, who are checking on you, that are praying for you. In this, in this period of time, I've had some phenomenal opportunities to speak to our church about this, the, these things, and it's been a relief to have our church respond the way it's done and, and reach out to me and other black members of Otter Creek and Creek. I know that's say Creek. Otter Creek and reinforce our already strategic plans for 10 years to be more diverse and look for ways to do kingdom work in the black and brown community in Nashville. And I'm excited about it. Um, and that's how I've dealt with it. You know, like I said, I pray, I fast, I, I do the, but really it's been the people around me that I've built from serving here that that has kept me, you know, from, from wanting to say, I give up, you know, I haven't thought about it, but I I can imagine if I wasn't planted deep rooted in a church, how I would be feeling right now. So I do spend a lot of time talking to my friends who are, are are atheists at this point. They, they've given up hope and they've stopped going to church and they're like, you know, this is religious. This is a slave religion. This is, you know, Mm -hmm. and I mean, it's, I mean, there are some real, real traumatic things going on. Um, in the black community with our faith because of you, you, you just, all you've seen is oppression. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. So um, you mentioned that 
you've been in Otter Creek about seven years. Mm-hmm. You you love it here, mm-hmm. but it's also not really a very diverse place, and that's something that we want to change. Right. And something that you know you mentioned it's in our vision twenty twenty nine. We are taking steps to do that. What would your advice be to to people about how they can really be allies to mm-hmm. um, the Black and Brown community? How they can really um, seek diversity and seek justice in yeah. the world. And I think I, I would love to see us grow our sample size of people that are coming here. And even I have to do a better job of inviting my friends and not worry about about what they're going to think because it's all white people when they walk in. I mean, because we love it and they'll love it, I think. So um, it's just stepping up that evangelism from, every, from everybody and not being scared. And I was talking to Josh about this and said, man, we know a lot of people, like, because we play basketball, we're in the community a lot. And do we never invite people to church? As Josh, you're an awesome preacher, you know, even though, you know, we battle in basketball, you know, all the time. And But, dude, people, you're great. Like, you need, we need to be inviting these guys to church. They love us, you know. And it's just those little things to build the sample size that we can create leadership from, mm-hmm. right? The music's great. We could also spice it up a little bit on the Sundays, you know, do a little bit more gospel. Do Just do some things where people are going to, you know, if you're visiting for the first time, you're like, oh, I recognize this song. Oh, I can deal with that. Well, this is a new song. It's more alternative, but I can deal with that. I like how they're mixing it in. It's very intentional because they want everyone to feel welcome, right? Uh, people praise God in different, in, in different, in different ways. So... I see us growing in that. I just don't want to see us force it. I want it to be organic. I want it to be something that is our culture as a church, um, because we have we have invested in in ministries, and and partnered and and grown in relationships in all these diverse areas in Nashville, and we will see it. If you look back at our history, we look the way we look because of what we've poured into the community from. It's, it's very simple. As soon as we open up that that thought process, is that we want to be more intentional about the ministries that we lead or, or, or participate in, we'll see it open up majorly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when we were talking about this um, earlier a couple of weeks ago at the the meeting that we, we were a part of together, mm-hmm. um, you mentioned that you want to see Otter Creek go slowly on this. Right. Um, talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, I think I think there's a knee jerk reaction to any of these to a lot of these social justice things that come up every I don't say they come up every four years, but you know there's something major every couple of years that comes up where people are just excited and they want to do something. And I don't think I think our church is is smart enough and strategic enough to not be that way. I think that we can slow down and really plot, plan, and execute something that is that is going to stand the test of time for our church. And there's lots of ways to do it. Like I just mentioned, is really of how are we investing into different things. I mean, if, I mean, for example, if I buy a bank um, that's predominantly African-American, our church should have an account there and do some financial literacy classes and plug in with some of those folks at the bank that are business people. There's lots of business people here. And, um, and not be bashful about it. Like sometimes I think we get in our own way. Because we want to be so humble. It's like, well, that's too much business stuff. We're, we're doing kingdom. I say, no, technically, you could do both. You can, you, you can have a church and also do business and also, I mean, that's really how you build, right? Because the revenues from that supports the church. And so you want to figure out a way to help, help your brothers and sisters in Christ be successful. I, th- I think there's a, a, a lot of ways, but the intent should be planned and not 
just drawing up some menu that you can go here's here's our here's our here's a, a link for black businesses on our website we put that up we did a excel spreadsheet there you go and we're done and and that could easily happen right we don't want to do that right I appreciate that because there is a line between, you know, as, as a woman, sometimes I hear, well, we need to take things slowly. And sometimes that, that can kind of bother me because mm. I think, oh, but, but it's impacting my life right now. Right. And so there's that line between we need to be intentional and we need to be making yeah. progress and, and posting something on Instagram or putting out a, a, an email that says, you know, where we quote unquote stand on something mm-hmm. isn't the same thing as action. And right. sometimes that takes a little more thought. Right. And right. Absolutely. And I, and I'm, I'm, I'm so excited about where I think our church is going with women. I really am super excited. It's been a long time coming. I'm glad to see the progress in the, con- in the, in the rumblings of, of pushing our elders to, to, to really fight, fight through that theological um, battle that they're having, and I'm praying for them. I know it's not easy. You're unraveling a lot of uh, history of just, you know, a lot of men making the decisions, like the rest of every institution in our nation. Right. That's the way I would look at it. Yeah. Look at all our institutions in our nation, not just the church, but businesses, other nonprofits, and how well have they done just by having all these men run them? For all these years, and what is what have women and minorities done during those times? They've struggled. Mm-hmm. Can't be right. It's the fruit will always tell you. The fruit will always tell you. What is, what is the fruit of this behavior? That's mm-hmm. right. That is the, that's the great way to look at it. Wow, Absolutely. we're on our way. Yeah. So if someone was listening uh, to this today and said, man, this really excites me. I've never considered business as, as mission or banking as mission. Mm. What would, what would be the place that you would say you should start here? As far as business, I definitely, if you are a salesperson or any, any kind of role where you're trying to meet people and build a network, that's usually banking, insurance, investments, could be selling tires at a tire shop down the street, but you're in a sales role, but you need to have a bigger network. Serve first and serve in an area that you love. It could be here at church doing coffee. I started my first service job at Arter Creek was serving coffee and I loved it. I love serving coffee in the gathering room. That was my jam. I, I met everybody and I served them coffee. I would get there early. I would work. Sometimes I work two shifts. And uh, I love coffee anyway. But, um, yeah, that's one way. But make sure it's something you love. Your don't, don't just do it to meet people to serve because you love it. But that's a great that, – that is a great way to get started. And then after that, you know, once you kind of get your feet wet in serving, look at what you're good at and try to lead, in a, lead a committee with your talent to build out a team. Of whatever that is, if it's wood, if it's if it's carpentry, or if it's banking, or if it's whatever bowling, I don't care what it is. Build a team of people that support that ministry or that nonprofit, and help them become leaders in that. And then just watch it, watch watch the fruit be produced from that. Thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, this has great. been such a good conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was great to hear more about your story. Yeah. And just thank you. It's thank been you for honor. having me. 
Core Stories is a ministry of Otter Creek Church. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram or at ottercreek.org.